But if you've got your Bibles, if you'd like to open up to Mark chapter 8 is where we're going to be looking this morning. Uh, first of all, hopefully you'll see this on the screen. Uh, but I've got a couple of uh, pictures for you. Uh, like the kids, don't just shout it out. Stick your hand up and tell me what you see. What do you see? Dave. Two faces looking at each other. Okay, does anyone see anything else? Ben, you see a chalice. Oh, you're a bit weird. No, you can, can't you? You've got two faces, haven't you? And then if you look at it slightly differently, you see a chalice or a cup in the middle. Can you notice that? Either concentrate on the black or concentrate on the white, depending on what you're looking at. All right, there you go. Nigel Weeks looking at Ben. <laughs> Karen Mormon. That's the first time anyone said that when they've looked at that. But you're right. We took a photo of them and then we placed them. Okay, what about this one? What do you see? Hand up. Faith, you know the deal. Hey, Faith, yep. Old man and woman. Okay, very good. Old man and woman. Does anyone see anything else? Karen. Yes. So there's three things. Wow, that's tricky, isn't it? So you've got, on either side, you've got an old man and an old woman looking at each other. That's not Ben and Nigel, though. Um, one's got hair. Uh, they've got the two on either side. Can you see that? Then if you jump back from that, you'll see two Mexicans, one playing a guitar, and then a woman coming out on the left-hand side out of the hole. And then if you concentrate on the middle bit, you'll see a chalice as well. There might be, even along the front, isn't there? Uh, that's a really amazing one, isn't it? As you look at the thing differently, you'll see different perspectives and different views. Uh, and as you see things, things jump out at you, don't you? And you start to see things a little bit more clearly. Uh, at the moment, when I look at a book, that's what I tend to see. I see things that are fuzzy because I can't see them properly, but when I put my glasses on, then I'm able to see clearly. It's interesting, isn't it? As we look at things from different perspectives, we can see things differently or see things more clearly. Uh, sometimes when we're looking at stuff, we see things fuzzy, but then when we put glasses on, we see things clearly. Uh, in Mark so far, in the Bible, what we've been seeing is a bit of a fuzzy picture of who Jesus is in one sense. Uh, Mark has been telling us the story in chapters 1 through to 7 of Jesus. He's been building a picture of what this Jesus is like and what this Jesus does. And in Mark chapter 8, we come to a critical point. At this point in time, people are trying to work out who this Jesus is and they're getting glimpses of him and bits of him and starting to see stuff but it's pretty fuzzy at this point in time. In Mark chapter 8 we come in and we focus in and it's a key part of the whole of Mark. It's the turning point in Mark in a number of ways and we're going to see that as we see that people start to see Jesus a bit more clearly and Jesus actually takes us from showing how he is the Messiah to what type of Messiah he's going to be. Mark chapter 1 to 7 are like proving that Jesus is the Messiah. Mark chapters 8 through to the end 
uh, what type of Messiah Jesus is going to be. So have a look at your Bibles, open them up. We're actually going to do the whole lot today, the whole of chapter 8. Uh, what we're going to do is Betty's going to read it for us. And as we go through, we're going to be looking at and we're going to say, who do you see? Uh, someone can tell me what they see there as well, whether they can work out what's in that picture. There it is, isn't it? If you look at it from a different perspective, you can see Jesus. Who do you see? As we go through chapter 8, who do you see? I'm going to be seeing what other people see, uh, but the big question at the end is, who do you see? When we look at Mark chapter 8 together. Uh, we're going to work through it. I'm going to stop us at different spots, hone in on different perspectives and sections and see if we get out the end of it and we see clearly, maybe, God willing. Betty, could you read for us uh, and uh, have a look at chapter 8 for us and verses 1 through to 13 and uh, I'll control it for us because we're going to stop as we go a little bit. Okay, go Betty. Jesus feeds the 4,000. During those days, another large crowd gathered since they had nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people. They have already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. Hold on there. Stop there. Now, if you've watched the story of Jesus so far and you're looking through, there's a really important bit right there that gives us a picture of who Jesus is and what type of Messiah he's going to be. Can anyone pick what it is? Compassion. If you look there, Jesus looks out on this large crowd, lots of people, and he looks at them and he looks at them with compassion. Now that's really important. Because sometimes in Mark, it's almost been just all the things Jesus does bang, 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 bang. And then here, he slows us down in Mark chapter 8 and a couple of times he just pulls us up and gives us another little perspective of who Jesus is. And here he goes and he says, and Jesus had compassion on these people. When he looks out at this crowd, this crowd who really haven't worked out who he is yet, who seem to be just following him, as we'll see in a moment, just to get something to eat, or just to see miracles, or just to get stuff to, off him, he stops and he looks at them and he sees them with compassion. He opens his arms and he welcomes them in. It's a lovely little picture there of what Jesus is like, isn't it? And he looks out on the world. He looks out with his arms open. How do you look out at the world? Do you look out at the world with compassion, with your arms open? Or do you look out at the world with contempt and your fingers pointing? Made me think. Made me sit back and think, when I look out at the world, am I just pointing at how bad the world is and how bad everyone else is and arms looking down on them? Or do I look at them as Jesus looked at them? With arms open and with compassion. Interesting thought, isn't it? I'll keep reading, Betty. Uh, verse 3. If I send them home hungry, they will collapse on the way, because some of them have come a long distance. His disciples answered, 
but where is this remote place? Can anyone get enough bread to feed them? How many loaves do you have? Jesus asked. Seven, they replied. He told the crowd to sit down on the ground. When he had taken the seven leaves and given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to set before the people, and they did so. They had a few small fish as well. He gave thanks for them also and told the disciples to distribute them. The people ate and were satisfied. Afterwards, the disciples picked up seven basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. About 4,000 men were present, and having sent them away, he got into the boat with his disciples and went to the region of Dalmanutha. The Pharisees came and began to question Jesus. To test him, they asked him for a sign from heaven. He sighed deeply and said, Why does this generation ask for a miraculous sign? I tell you the truth. No sign will be given to it. Then he left them, got back in the boat, and crossed to the other side. Do they see clearly yet? Do you notice? It's funny that if you go back a couple of chapters, I'm not sure where Les got to at the end of last week, but a couple of chapters back in, you would see that Jesus fed 5,000 people. This is only a little bit later on, and now he's going to feed 4,000 people or more. And what did the, quest, what did the disciples say? I said, how can we do this? How are we going to do that? You would have thought, guys, just go back a little bit. What did he do? That's crazy, isn't it? They, they, they still don't see him clearly, do they? They still haven't quite worked out who this Jesus is. It's an amazing bloke. He, he does, but I'm still, we're still not quite got it yet. We still haven't, we're not quite there yet. And then what does Jesus do? He feeds them, doesn't he? But he doesn't just feed them, but he feeds them with abundance. They come back with loaves and fishes, a whole lots of stuff come back. But do they see him clearly yet? Well, we're not sure, are we? Well, the disciples don't seem to be seeing clearly yet, and the Pharisees don't either, do they? What do the Pharisees do? Look, the Pharisees came again to question Jesus. They've been along the way, by the way, you know, like the Pharisees have heard and seen a lot of this stuff too. And then they come to him and they say, well, you've fed 4,000 people with only a couple of loaves of bread. Ah, come on, mate, up the ante. Don't they? They say, we want more signs, Jesus. Give us more signs. We need more wonders. Look, you've healed people. The blind have been healed. People have been raised from the dead. I've fed 5,000 people, walked on water. But, mate, just give us another one. Give us one more sign. We don't, we don't, they don't see clearly yet, do they? They can't see who this Jesus really is. Well... Jesus takes them back and starts to chat to them again and notice what he says this time. Betty, could you read from uh, 14 down to about, let me tell you, 21. be great. The yeast of the Pharisees and Herod. The disciples had forgotten to bring bread, except for one loaf they had with them in the boat. Be careful, Jesus warned them. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. Stop there just for two seconds. So what do you reckon the yeast of the Pharisees is and the Herod is? What just happened? They're looking for more signs and wonders, aren't they? 
they're not convinced by what they they want to get more they want to they want to see more it's a bit of a warning isn't it it's a warning to us to say if we just see signs and wonders is that going to convince us no it's not going to convince anyone ultimately signs and wonders aren't the thing they're the, that's going to just feed through doubt into what's going to happen around here doesn't mean that jesus won't do that he's going to do some amazing stuff don't get me wrong but when we just want to seek signs and wonders to prove who this Jesus is, no, not on. Keep reading. Verse 16, Betty. They discussed this with one another and said, it is because we have no bread. Aware of the discussion, Jesus asked them, why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes but fail to see, and ears but fail to hear? And don't you remember, when I broke the five loaves for the five thousand, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? Twelve, they replied. And when I broke the seven loaves for the four thousand, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? They answered, seven. He said to them, do you still not understand? Are you daft? You'd almost put that in there, wouldn't you? Have you not worked this out, guys? Have you... But they haven't, have they? And that's the question that Jesus keeps asking. Do you not see? Do you not understand? Do you not see clearly yet who I am? Well, the next little passage, I think, is like the centrepiece of the passage of Mark chapter 8, and it's the illustration that Jesus is wanting to drive home in the whole of Mark chapter 8. So have a read of it. Let's have a look and see the next couple of verses about how Jesus heals a blind man. Thanks, Betty. Verse 22. She's in the spotlight today, aren't you, Betty? Uh, Verse 22 through to 25, Betty, thanks. The healing of a blind man at Bethsaida. They came to Bethsaida, and some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. When he had spit on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus asked, Do you see anything? He looked up and said, I see people. They look like trees walking around. Once more Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes. Then his eyes were opened. His sight was restored and he saw everything clearly. Jesus sent him home saying, Don't go into the village. It's a strange little one, isn't it? Right in the middle of all these questions, are you seeing, do you see? Can you see clearly? And then Jesus, we see a healing... It actually is more than just a healing, it's actually a teaching as well. Uh, it's interesting too here, Mark slows us down in the whole of Mark chapter 8, as most said, he slowed us down and made us hear the compassion bit, and he slows us down here and focuses in on this blind man. Uh, and this blind man is actually taken outside the village, away from everyone, and he slows it down and then he shows us and teaches us this healing. If you read the rest of Mark, and you would have noticed, uh, Mark goes straight away, immediately. Now, 
It's like everything happens bang, 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 bang. But in Mark chapter 8, he slows us back and pulls us back because in Mark chapter 8, there is something really critical that he wants us to understand. And this miracle of a healing gives us and shows us what he wants to teach us. So we slow it down and we come to this and Jesus does something really weird. He spits, doesn't he? Spits and then he puts his hands on the bloke's eyes. Jesus has never done anything like this before in regards to miracles. It's just been touch him, done, speak, done. So obviously he's wanting to show us something here, isn't he? He's slowing this down a little bit and he touches the guy's eyes and then what does he ask him? Who, what do you see? That's important, isn't it? What do you see? And the bloke says, I see people that are walking like trees. Now, how he knew what trees looked like, I'm not sure because he's been blind. Maybe he wasn't blind all his life. Maybe he saw before, became blind. He says, he gets a fuzzy picture, doesn't he? He gets a picture of something that he sees out there, but it's not clear yet. It's not exactly there. And then Jesus steps in with the next bit, doesn't he? Imagine the disciples, you're standing there and you're thinking, What's your problem, Jesus? You're running out of power, mate. Have you gone into sleep mode for a little while? Haven't you got enough power to heal this guy once? You've done all these other things. Why, why didn't you just do it like that? It's because he wants to teach them, doesn't he? And so he touches them again. Puts his hands on his hands, eyes. And his sight was restored. And now what does he see? He sees clearly, doesn't he? He sees the people, he sees the world, and he goes off to live seeing clearly, seeing the world clearly now. It's a great song, isn't it? I can see clearly now. The rain has gone. It's going to be a bright, bright, bright sunny day. This might have been his theme song as he got up and walked away, isn't it? It's a bright sunny day. I can see, I can see. It's a beautiful healing. I mean, the guy's been blind. He can see. There's nothing better than that for him. But it's a lesson for all of us, isn't it? And it's a lesson for his disciples that you're seeing fuzzy at the moment, but you need to see clearly. Things aren't quite coming together, but will you see clearly? You're going to see clearly soon. Look and see. And so do they see clearly now? Well, the next passage... It looks like they see clearly, but let's see what happens. Uh, Mark chapter 27, through to 30. Thanks, Betty. Peter's confession of Christ. Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked them, who do people say I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. And what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Peter answered, you are the Christ. Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. Now this is a critical part in the whole of the Gospel of Mark because it's the first time we hear someone declare that Jesus is. 
But it's critical to you because at this point in time, Jesus changes direction of where he's going. Before this, Jesus had been spending a whole lot of his time around the Sea of Galilee, up north, if you can remember what we've looked at in the past. But now he starts to change direction. Now he starts to move to Jerusalem. Mark is very deliberate in how he structures the gospel because he wants us to see clearly. He wants us to understand not only what Jesus did, proving he's Messiah, but what type of Messiah he's going to be. And so here we see that he comes to them and he says, okay boys, what's the word on the street? What's happening down at street level? What are people saying about me? What are the people out there saying about me? What's the word out there? And they come back and they say, he's Elijah, he's a prophet, he's this, he's that, he's John the Baptist. They don't see clearly, do they? They are not seeing Jesus clearly. But he says, what about you guys? You've been with me for ages. You've just seen the 4,000 being fed. I've just told you, can you see clearly? You've just seen the healing. I've given you a bit of a hint here to see clearly. Who do you say I am? Well, Peter, he's the brash one. Uh, You'll notice that Peter doesn't often think before he speaks, as we're about to find out. Uh, But here he is. Maybe he's thought really well. And he comes out. And what does he say? You are the Messiah. Or you are the Christ. You are the anointed king coming to this land. Woohoo! Has he got it? By Jove, I think he's got it. I think he sees clearly. I think he knows who this Mr. Jesus is. I think he's worked it out. Well, has he? Let's have a look at the next part of the story. Betty, if you could read from verse 20. He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself we'll and take there, up Betty. his cross and follow me. We'll come back to that one. That was really important. So do you think Peter got it? No, he hadn't seen him clearly yet, had he? He'd made a pronouncement. It's a turning point. You're the Christ, you're the Messiah. He saw all the miracles. It looks like this is the anointed king. Uh, Peter's waiting for the anointed king to come in and take over Jerusalem, to take over the world, to set up his throne, and this is going to be the centre of it all. He's going to be the king in the line of David. That's not the king Jesus is going to be. Jesus hasn't come up to set up a nation here on this earth He set up a kingdom of God that's going to reign for eternity. He hasn't come just to heal people's sicknesses and diseases, though as important that they are, he's come to heal souls. Peter hasn't seen clearly yet, has he? Uh, he, He's seen the miracles, he's got this picture, it's a bit fuzzy though, but he thinks he's got it. 
He said, Messiah, everyone's going to go cheering. We think like the house is going to come screaming down. Fireworks are going to go off. You know, angels are going to come in. Woohoo, Peter, you got it. You're on the ball, mate. But no. Jesus, even at the end of the last passage, says, don't go and tell anyone. Why? Because they haven't seen clearly yet, have they? They might see the things that prove that Jesus is the Messiah, but they don't know what type of Messiah he's going to be. So here Jesus comes in and shows them the type of Messiah he's going to be. One that goes to the cross, one that dies, but one that rises again. Not just to set up a temporary kingdom in Israel, but to set up a kingdom of God that is going to last forever. To heal our souls, to deal with our sin, to give us life here and now so that we can live his life and his way here on the earth that we're in. Look at what he says next. But if you read down to the end of the chapter. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world yet forfeit his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. Okay, one more verse. Oh, I haven't got up there, but you can do one more verse for me, Betty. 9-1 would be great. Just 9-1. Just, yeah, just one more verse. And he said to them, I tell you the truth. Some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God come with power. It's a powerful passage, isn't it? There's a whole lot wrapped up in there. But what Jesus is saying is, if you see me clearly, this is the type of Messiah that I'm going to live. A type of Messiah who's going to go to the cross. One who's going to die for us. Messiah that has come to heal our soul and transform our lives. You're going to see a cross-shaped Messiah and we're going to see a cross-shaped life in in response to our Messiah. See, Jesus says, if you take up the cross and follow me, he's saying, you'll take up my life and live it here. My life is a life that goes to the cross, a self-sacrificing life. A life that gives up my life for others. A life that says that I'm going to love people so much that I'm going to put them in front of me. I'm going to sacrifice my life for yours. That's the cross. That's a cross-shaped life. That's a life that follows Jesus. It's one where we do the same as him. Where we go and live in this world the way that he lived in this world. And he says it's so important, doesn't he? He says, because if you forfeit your soul, you forfeit eternity. This is where we need to be, guys. 
if you see me clearly, then you will take up your cross and follow me. If you see me clearly, you'll know that I've done that first for you. If you see me clearly, I am the Messiah who is anointed by God to be king over everything. If you see me clearly, I'm the king that goes to the cross for you. And that's worth everything. Worth everything. You see, Peter, uh, Mark says at the end there, Jesus said, and he said to them, Truly I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God has come with power. When's that? It's at the cross and at the resurrection. That's when God's kingdom comes in power. Because that power is not just to destroy the armies here, but it's the power to destroy sin and death for eternity. That's where the power happens. That's where it comes. And if you see me clearly, that's what it will be for you too. Who do you see? Do you just see cloud lines there or do you see Jesus? Jesus who transforms our life and says, take up your cross and follow me. And Jesus who says that this is your life now, a life that is self-sacrificing, a life that seeks to love others as you love yourself, a life that seeks to bring Jesus to others around us, a life that impacts everything that you do. And when you start to see the world now, when you put your trust in Jesus, you see it through his eyes. And not only do you see Jesus clearly, but you see the world clearly. And you seek to hold out your arms in compassion and bring them in. You seek to see them in people in this world come to see and know Jesus. You see it change how you operate in the way that you work. You see it changes how you operate when you deal with your kids at school who are giving you a hard time. You see it change in the way that you live your life daily how you use your social media. It's a big thing these days. Isn't it? People are posting stuff everywhere, all over the place. How is your social media helping to highlight how great Jesus is? It's an interesting thought, isn't it? What are you posting? What stuff are you sticking up there? Is it really helping people to see Jesus clearly in you or in the world? It's an interesting thought, isn't it? How's it working out at work in the way that you treat your customers when they come through the door? Are you showing them just how great Jesus is in the way that you love them and care for them and treat them well? And don't cross your arms and point at them and say, you're bad or you've done the wrong thing or no, I don't want to speak nicely to you or smile at you. I'm going to serve you coffee's cold. How are you doing that when you're in your business? with them? How are you doing that at school? As you seek to love the kids that are around you, as you seek to show them what Jesus is like in your life, who do you see? Do you see Jesus clearly? I pray that you do. Because when you see Jesus clearly, then you see the world clearly. And you can live for his glory and to his glory every moment of 
Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, what a, what a great chapter in the Bible. Uh, there's so much there we could have uh, pushed around and uh, thought about more, but Lord, it was clear within that that you're pushing us to see you clearly. To see Jesus clearly. To not just see him as someone who's going to fix up the little holes in our lives. No, he can do that. But to see someone who fixes up the soul. He fixes up our whole eternity. And calls us to follow him in every part of our lives, Lord. Heavenly Father, we pray that your spirit will clear away the scales, that your clear spirit will clear away the fog, that your spirit will take away the fuzziness around how we see Jesus, Lord, and that we'll see him clearly. And that will change everything. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.